Our text through these uh, messages has been a dual text, 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8, and 1 John 4, 18 and 19. If you'd stand with me as we read God's word, if you're able. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 say, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sin. And 1 John 4, 18 and 19 says, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. Better translation of that word, I believe, is torment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. You may be seated. Now, as I said, we are now officially out of one of the most difficult and challenging times in any of our lives, covid 19 has challenged us all in many ways, especially, I believe, in our spiritual lives. Never before in American history, never before in American history, has the church been attacked, undermined, and questioned as it was in the last 15 months. If you're not following the news, and I've kind of stopped following the news lately because it's all opinion. It's no longer news. It's all just somebody's opinion. Um, but every once in a while I do read, I, I do more reading of the news than I do watching of the news. And one thing that is really disturbing, is one thing you really need to pay attention to, I believe, is the fact that there is an attack on the church that is coming towards white evangelical men. We are being blamed for the fact that, they do, that the society doesn't believe that we will be able to reach uh, herd immunity because white evangelical men don't want to get the vaccine. Well, that's just kind of silly. We're being blamed for many different things in this country. We're, we are lumped in with white supremacists. We're lumped in with many different things that are just not true. The sad part and the scary part is it doesn't matter that it's not true because those who are in power are just going to continue to, com- to repeat lies to, to get to forward the narrative that they want to forward. And that narrative is to destroy the church. I believe this entire 15-month period has been not just an attack on society, not just an attack on our health, not just a, um, a virus. By the way, now we know that the virus was created in a lab. <laughs> Who knew? But an attack on the church. I believe there are those, and I believe this with all my heart, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, I'm not a QAnon guy, please don't get, I'm not a right winger. In fact, many of you who think you know my politics have no idea what my politics are. You have no clue what my politics are, I guarantee it. You would be shocked if you sat down and talked with me. And and I was willing to talk about it, because I'm not usually willing to talk about it with people. But I do believe that there are those in governmental power who will take any opportunity they can to attack the church and all things God and all things that have to do with Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that. I believe it's coming out stronger and stronger, and I believe that we are living in the last days, and that is going to become fiercer and fiercer and fiercer and fiercer. The attacks are just going to keep coming. We have lost people that we may never get back. We've lost things that we can't even explain or put our fingers on that we may never get back. But if we focus on what we've lost, we'll never see what we've gained. 
as a church core, as a church core, we have proven that we will endure and fight for what we believe to be true, for our right to assemble and live out our faith in person, our right, no matter what the situation, to stand for Jesus Christ, whether our right also to use the airwaves to get the word to those who aren't able to be in person. We have proven as a church, as New Life Church, as a core church, we have proven that we will do whatever it takes to survive and to accomplish the work that God has given us to do. We've shown that we will continue to serve through battles and storms and difficulties. We've been challenged and I believe that New Life as a whole faced that challenge and stood strong. But in every battle there are casualties. Some are minor injuries that quickly heal. Some are major and will forever be severed, but some are underlying issues that were given life during difficulty and bred dysfunction. The challenge now is not to let those wounds and injuries grow and break and divide more deeply. The challenge now is to heal. It's not us against them. I know, and I'm gonna, I'm, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna speak honestly, and this all has to do with our message. I know back in December we had an outbreak here in our church. And fingers were pointed at everybody. Fingers were pointed, and everybody wanted to everybody wanted to point out who who caused this. What most of you don't know, because I'm I don't share what people share with me, is that week that we had the outbreak here in the church, I had at least six people message me and tell me. I've been exposed at work. It was inevitable that something was going to happen when you have so many people. Even though we took precautions, it was going to happen. It wasn't anybody's fault. And if we're angry, if people are upset and angry and you still hold that bitterness, you need to let it go. By the way, if you just heard what I had to say, you've got great reason to let it go because you're still alive and you're still here. It's over. Let it go. I had to have a COVID test yesterday. I've got an endoscopy on Tuesday. I'm so excited for them to stick something down my throat and look around in my stomach. Can't wait for that. And I had to have a COVID test yesterday. I thought that was ironic on the first day that everything is opened up. I'm having a COVID test. Fortunately, it came back negative. That was wonderful. Figured. So I looked at them and I said, I guess the vaccine works, right? But it's over. Let it be over. Let it go. Let the anger, let the, let the bitterness, let the underlying, listen, we can be masters of the underlying comment, can't we? We can be masters of getting our point across while still trying to be happy-go-lucky people and, and thinking that may, people thinking we're actually giving them a compliment when we're really <laughs> taking a dig at them. Let's let those things go. Let's now that we're at the end of this, let's heal. It's not us against them. It's all for one and one for all. If we're going to thrive in the after-COVID world as individual believers, as marriages, and families, and as a church, we must put aside the differences 
that have been revealed over the last 15 months, the differences in race, <laughs> the differences in politics. And I gotta tell you, in a church like ours, where we are, you may not know my politics, but I know a lot of people's politics in this church. And just so you'll know, those of you watching, those of you who are here live, our church is just about split down the middle between left and right, and then there's several in the center. So we are, we are a divided church politically, which shouldn't really matter because politics don't, shouldn't come into our church. Your politics are your politics. You vote for who you want to vote for. But I don't, listen, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Barack Obama, either one of the Bushes, Ronald Reagan, they don't pastor this church and they have no say in what goes on here. You do. So let's leave those things aside. But these last 15 months have, have revealed amazing differences, amazing divides, not just in our country, but also in our church. Those divides of race and politics. I know when I preached that series on race, <laughs> listen, and I promised you then, I'm gonna promise you again now, we're not letting up on that. I've got two, <laughs> two little brown boys who just had another incident at school, kid told Gabriel, you look like poop because you're brown. Your kid get that said to him? Your white children get that said to him? I don't know about you. I don't like anybody calling me poop, especially because of the color of my skin. So I don't really care if you like whether I talk about race or not. The fact is, we're divided by race, and it's sin. And we're going to talk about it here. And if you don't want me to, I'm just to say this clear and plain. If you don't want to hear me talk about race, you might want to find a white pastor who doesn't think there's a problem and have him preach to you. Because we're going to talk about it here in light of the scriptures. Look around. We're not all white here. And I ch I've challenged people since ever since then to talk to people of color. White people talk to people of color and ask them about their experiences. And you see if there's a problem based on what they have to say, not what you think. The differences of our, between, in our fears, our moralities, our commitment levels. And I challenge us to put aside those differences and come together on our common ground our common ground here is our faith in Jesus Christ. The world became a more divided place over these last 15 months, and unfortunately, the church that Jesus established has become more divided as well. We have to be honest about that, we have to address it, and we have to fix it. We need to be honest, we need to be committed, and we need to be united. And that begins in our homes. That begins in our homes. Now, you may not have to deal with race issues or, or um, multicultural issues in your home, but you do have to deal with issues in your home that directly affect our church and our unity here, directly affect your, your service here. You have to deal with issues in your marriage that directly affect the unity and the power and the effectiveness of this church. We are all broken people. None of us is whole, and none of us is perfect. 
That means that marriages are a combination of two broken people attempting to become one unit through the closest and most intimate relationship known to humanity, that of a husband and a wife. Let me say this clearly and plainly, and please listen. We have no right to expect perfection from each other, especially our spouses. I'll tell you what, I am so thankful. I, I am so thankful that, that Aaron is not allowed to expect perfection from me because I am not perfect. I don't know about you, and I just, I can't sit down. I'm trying. I'm gonna knock these walls over before it's over, Jonathan. I'm just letting you know, man. I'm gonna knock these walls over. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I don't know what has been going on with me. Very, uh, just, you know I'm transparent. I'm always gonna be transparent. But I don't know what's been going on with me for the last, like, three weeks. There has been just an underlying anger, frustration. I don't know what it's been. And I'm praying about it. I'm saying, God, reveal to me, what am I angry about? And I've had to really catch myself so that I don't take it out of my family because they don't deserve it. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's the change in season. I, I, I don't know what it is. But I do know this, that I'm not perfect. And my wife isn't perfect. And my sons aren't perfect. And my oldest children aren't perfect. Therefore, I have no right to expect perfection from them Neither do they have the right to expect perfection from me. That means that we all have to work together, especially in our homes, to get ourselves to a place of functionality and purpose. This past 15 months, I believe, has revealed that to us, hasn't it? You have had to, this listen. Remember when, remember when we were locked down? <laughs> remember when you couldn't stand each other? <laughs> but you didn't have any choice because there was nowhere else to go? <laughs> I see one of our teenage, Lewis, I'm not gonna tell you, your, your daughter is just laughing at you. <laughs> I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything, man, but, but uh, I can see her face. Two becoming one. Two becoming one. That's the successful formula for a godly Christian marriage. And we've been talking about that for the last several weeks. Two becoming one. I hope it's been helpful to you that you've learned some things about marriage and relationships according to the Bible that have challenged you to be better. But if attendance and attitudes and commitment are any indication of what we have to look forward to over the next bit of time as a church, I'm talking about outside the core of the church, I think we're in for a bit of a rough ride. I think that we have some challenges ahead in our church. Not, to, not just to reach out to a community that needs Christ, but to bring back the people who have gotten into the bad habit, and I must say it again, the people that have gotten into the bad habit of not meeting live for church. I realize that we haven't been able to be we haven't been able to live our normal lives for 15 months, and I understand that completely. And I know that many of us want to make up for lost time. That's why there's like 80 million people, I think that's the number, either 40 or 80 million people flying this weekend. But if we don't begin to build back both our marriages and our church on a foundation of Jesus, 
we will continue to lose ground instead of build the kingdom of God. What we need to understand is that these last 15 months have been an attack by Satan on the kingdom of God, on his plan to reach the world. And it has taken a toll on the church. It's taken a toll on our church. The only way we can continue to fight back, the only way we can continue is to fight back and stand for our faith. The only way that our church will survive and thrive is, is, is that if each of us does our part and commit to walking close to Jesus in our personal lives, in our marriages, and committing to serving in our church. We fought so hard to survive these last 15 months. Don't let your guard down now. I'll be honest with you, we, we weren't going, I, Jonathan and I met, Jonathan does communications for us and he does the announcements and everything and we meet every couple weeks and I told him that we're gonna, at first it was gonna be, Zach and I had talked a lot, and I talked with Aaron a lot about it. And first it was gonna be 4th of July, we're gonna start back with one service, and then after that, this all happened in the space of about four days, by the way. And after the 4th of July, on the 11th, we were gonna go back to one 10 o'clock service. Then I started praying, and, and uh, nobody has complained, I don't want you to think that there's been any complaints, but I'm, I sense a fatigue in our people. I really do. I sense a fatigue in our, in, our wor- in our worship team. I sense a fatigue in not necessarily Jonathan or Zach because they're like energizer bunnies in ministry. They just keep going and going and going. Our, our children's ministry, listen, I can't stand your kids for five minutes, man. <laughs> These people. I'm just, I kid because I care. But they've, I mean, they have, they've just been champions through this whole time. But I've sensed a weariness. So I started praying about it. And I thought, well, maybe Father's Day would be a great time to go to one service. And by the way, fathers, don't let your, don't let your family take you away from church on Father's Day. Be here on Father's Day. Father's Day is the worst attended day in our church. Did you know that? Father's Day is the worst, because fathers decide to go somewhere else, whether you're golf and fishing. Listen, you, can, you got all day to do that. Give God his time. Give your, give your good, good father his time on Father's Day, right? Then I started praying yesterday. I messaged Aaron and I said, do you think we should just go back to one service next Sunday? And she said, yeah, I think it would be very well received. So I prayed about it and had a piece about it. I talked to Zach this morning and I said, listen, we're gonna go back to one service. And that's where it came from. I think it's time, I think, I think it's important because we've done so much And that's my part of trying to protect and help my church move forward now. That's my contribution to helping your family and your marriage. Now I'm not, please don't don't look at me as benevolent Pastor John. That's not what that's about. But I know that it's been a stress for 15 months. I understand that. I know what you have given up because I've had to do it. Don't let that be the only change you make. Recognize the struggles that you've gone through and the stressors that have been put on and brought up in your marriages and families. Many of you come, we have many people that that are what we would call spiritually single. You're married, but you come to church as a single person. What you've learned over these last 15 months 
take those lessons and apply them and, and make, make a commitment to building your home strong on Christ so that you will no longer have to be spiritually single coming to church. Don't let our guard down now, folks. And that goes especially for our marriages. Because once again, marriages are the bedrock of a solid church. It is expected that divorce rates are going to skyrocket now that the court systems around America are opened up again. In fact, some, some experts are expecting a 40% spike in the normal divorce rate. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Listen, if you can't live with somebody, what in the bleep did you marry that person for? I'm serious, man. If you can't handle spending time with that person, what did you get married for? But the fact of the matter is you're married now. Act like it. Work on that marriage. Especially if you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, work on that marriage. As much as, as the Bible says, as much as it, is within, as it is within you, do everything you can to live at peace with everyone, including your spouse. We've been challenged and tested and stretched and pulled in so many different ways and directions that at times it was difficult to know which way was up or down, but now we're through it. Let's move forward. And we've covered three of the four pillars of, on which a solid marriage, Christian marriage is built. Talked about the pillar of personal faith, the pillar of personal accountability, and the pillar of personal character. We now come to pillar number four, and, I, and obviously it's 10 o'clock already. We're, this, is a, this is a two week sermon, at least, maybe three. So we're not gonna zip through this one today. Pillar number four, ready for this? The pillar of personal maturity. The pillar of personal maturity. First Corinthians 13, 11, it's always struck me as a verse, why would this be included in 1 Corinthians 13? What's 1 Corinthians 13 is what? The love chapter. First Corinthians 13 is a love chapter. How many of you at your wedding, first Corinthians, a part of 1 Corinthians 13 was read at your wedding? I mean, you know, you've, you've read it. 1 Corinthians 13 is Valentine's Day, right? That's, it's, uh, oh, it's, it's, it's the love chapter. Yet 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says this, and I think it's amazingly telling about what love truly is in a Christian marriage and for a Christian. Because 1 Corinthians 13, 11 goes directly to our maturity as human beings and as followers of Christ. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Now that may sound very, very surface. It may sound very, uh, very obvious. But really focus on that for a minute. And then focus on life and focus on the way we treat each other and the way we live our lives and the way we run our homes and the way we approach marriage and ask yourself, is that true about me? When I became a grown-up, I put away childish things. Is that how you approach your marriage relationship? Or are you a spoiled brat who has to have their own way or you're going to make the, your partner pay the price. 
When I became a grown-up, I put away childish things. I couldn't think of a more perfect verse to describe the transformation that must take place if we're going to move from two individuals and become one married couple. Two becoming one. That's what marriage is. Putting away childish things involves more than just what we do. It goes to the very core of who we are and why we do the things we do. As we look at this fourth pillar of personal maturity, I challenge each of us, married and single, to look at ourselves deeply and ask the, di the difficult introspective questions that come from hearing this message. How do you grow into a mature married partner? How do you grow into a mature married partner? Well, the first thing I think that you must do when you approach marriage, well, one of the first things, and the first thing in, in this message, how do we become a, a mature member of a marriage, a Christian marriage, by being intentional? By being intentional. You've heard the phrase, when you're in the room, be in the room. Well, when you're in your marriage, be in your marriage. Don't just wear a ring. Don't just sign two names. Don't just call yourself a husband. Don't just call yourself a wife. Be in your marriage. Be a participant. Be an owner of your marriage. What do you put more time and effort into? Being good in your career or being good as a spouse? What do you put more time and effort into? Your favorite hobby and being the best you can at your favorite hobby or being the best spouse you can possibly be? Let me ask you this question, folks, and this goes to the heart of families being the foundation of the church. And I mean this with all my heart. What do you put more effort and time into? Being a good servant of Jesus Christ at New Life Church or being a good godly husband or a good godly wife? Because I'm here to tell you, if you think you can be a solid member of, the, of, of this church, solid servant in this church doing great things for God and think that your marriage is a throwaway thing, you're absolutely wrong and you're not right with God. If you are not putting the effort, and listen, you can't control what your spouse does. You can't control, control how they react and how they respond. But you sure can control how much effort you put in to that marriage being successful. I know, listen man, I've been there 29 and a half years, boom, right out the back door. <laughs> you ask my oldest son, I fought, I fought for my marriage. I fought for, you ask my nephew, Jeremy, I fought for that marriage. Right up until the day that I had to go to court and the judge said it's over. I know what that's like. Don't tell me and don't think I don't. But I will not, I will not allow myself to stand before God when I have to answer for the way I lived my life and have to say, you know what, it just wasn't worth it to me. There were some things that are more important. I fight hard for my marriage right now. I fight hard to make sure my marriage is strong. I fight hard to make sure my wife knows I love her 
and I'm, I would do anything for her. I fight to make sure she knows and is secure in the fact that she is above you. She is more important to me than you are. And I love my church. I've given my life to this church. But my family comes first. My wife comes first. As she walks down the hall, she can hear me say that. She is my number one. If she is not my number one, and if I do not make sure she understands that she's my number one, then everything I do here is nothing more than sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. Because what God has given me as my number one priority, I'm shirking. Now listen, the ideal, and I'll, I'll, just, I'll just point out a couple we have in our church. The ideal is families serving together, married couples serving together. We have several in our church. Drew and Aylin sing together in the worship team. Jonathan and Mary, they, I think they have a spare bedroom here at the church. <laughs> Jeremy and Sarah, they're, uh, they, Jeremy punches a time clock and, and Sarah, is, uh, Pete and Lori are a team, Ben and Amber, uh, my gosh, we've got Deb and him. Uh, <laughs> Deb and Brian. Brian is a Deb and Brian. I've known them forever. Uh, Brian's like a brother to me. That's why I give him such a hard time. Listen, I don't care how much you put in now. If you don't let your spouse know. If Pete doesn't let Lori know, you are more important to me than my position as a deacon in this church, then his position as a deacon in this church has become an idol in his life. And that's the fact of the matter. If Zach doesn't let Tiffany know that she is more important to him than his assistant pastor position in this church, and his assistant pastor's position in this church has become an idol to him. When you're in your marriage, be in your marriage. It's time to stop the pettiness, the immaturity, the dysfunctional accusations, and the blame game and move on to actions and attitudes that build the core strength of your marriage and reflect the grace and love of Jesus. It's time. One of the things that thrills me to death is to see Ben and Amber up here on the stage leading worship together and then going and taking their boys and crazy boys. I, mean, I, love, I love boys. I love crazy boys. Someday I'm going to just let, drop my boys off to your house and not give them medicine. And yeah, Risa, Risa, hey. Let's move on from that one. <laughs> Stop keeping score and keeping records to bring up later. Stop keeping score. Sometimes I wonder if people keep a notebook <laughs> because they have such great recall <laughs> of how they've been wronged. Stop keeping score. 
Stop keeping track of things to keep to bring up later and start working towards fixing, mending, and growing your marriage. Immaturity doesn't solve anything, doesn't help anything. In fact, it does just the opposite. Make sure that growing your marriage relationship into a strong friendship and partnership is your priority. Make sure growing your marriage relationship into a friendship and a partnership is your priority. If there's strain and stress in your marriage and your home right now, commit to God, commit to yourself and your spouse that you will start fresh and you'll start new to make it work. That's what God wants from each of us. I think one of the greatest tragedies in, in, in your life would be to get through to the end of this 15 months of trying times, only to see your marriage go out the window, only to see your commitment to God fall away. Listen, I know we want to get away. I would love to spend some time and get away. You know how I'm going to take a vacation this summer? I'm going to have surgery. <laughs> That's going to give me a vacation. Okay, and then by the end of the year, hopefully I'll have another surgery and I'll get a little vacation there. I know you're going to want to take time away. I know you're going to want to do things. Folks, make sure that you're spending time coming out of this, learning the lessons that helped you survive as a married couple through the pandemic. Commit to each other that the things that you found that you could do to make things work during the last 15 months are things you continue to do. Make sure that the way you connected spiritually in your life in your walk with Jesus that you never did, and maybe the way you connected spiritually. Listen, I saw, I saw married couples come together in our church over these, over these last 15 months in ministry. Don't let that go away. Commit to binding up the broken parts and, and the, the, the struggles that you found and making them better and moving forward and growing stronger. And don't just now walk away from church and say, you know what, I'm gonna make up for lost time. And what was so important, what helped us survive this pandemic is not going to be as important to me anymore. Man, make sure you are committed in your marriage to your marriage and your marriage to your church. Isaiah 43 verses 18 and 19. We'll close with these two verses, these two passages, I should say. Do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to the things of old. Look, I am about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Listen, some of us can say that about these last 15 months, right? <laughs> God has made a way through this wilderness. God has given us rivers in the desert, and we survived and we are stronger now. I believe it. Listen, I'll say it again. I know this has been a, a, a cheerleading session in many parts for our church. And I think we've needed it. I think, I think you need to understand and know what it is, the heroic things that, that this church did to survive. Because there are many churches that, have, that didn't survive these last 15 months. God made a way through. Don't let that go to waste. Now he wants to do something new. Now he wants to reveal some new things. Now he wants to show us what all that was about. 
And what we learned from that, he now wants to apply to this new day. Don't walk away from that. What, what helped you survive as a married couple? And some of you had struggles we don't even know about. Some of you went through things that you didn't share with others, but you survived. Don't let what helped you survive as a married couple, don't let the faith you leaned on go to the wayside now. Stand strong in that and allow God to do his new thing in you and in your marriage and through you in your church. Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 17 say, Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Making the most of your time. Making the most of your time. Making the most of the time you have. Making the most of the time that God has given you in your marriage. Making the most of the time that God has given you now to serve Him. Now that you've made it through this, now that you've gotten through this time, don't let the lessons you've learned go to waste. Build on them. You survived. Well, we barely, we just survived. Well, great, man, you survived. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you, how you survived. You survived. You're through it. Now make, now, now grow, to borrow a political phrase, build back better, right? Make your marriage stronger. That was not a political endorsement, by the way. That was just a comment, okay? Build your marriage back stronger. Learn from the lessons. Grow from what you learned. Those of you who gave so much to see your church survive. Those of you who sacrificed financially, don't now take the money you would give to the ministry of God and take a vacation. Continue to give and let God continue to bless you. Continue to see the work of God for, go forward. If you haven't noticed, man, the days are evil. The problems, listen, the pandemic is gone, but that's the only thing that's gone. We're still divided. We're still shooting and killing people. I think last week, Last weekend, there were like 80 people killed in mass shootings in, a, in our country. Let's lock them down again, man, come on. There, I, I thought, I think one of the craziest things I saw on the, I, I think I read it this morning. Tulsa, Oklahoma was having a memorial for the, the, the um, race riots back in the 20s. <laughs> People can't even memorialize a tragedy without violence breaking out. The days are evil. The lessons we learned in our homes and in our church need to survive this pandemic and get us through these next days. Don't let them go to waste. Apply God's treasure principle that we find in Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your treasure? Personally, where's your treasure? My treasure sits in the back row back there. I think she's amazing. My, my, no, it's not Lewis. Back corner over here. I love her. I want, I'm, I'm so proud of her. I'm so proud of the way she's grown in the Lord. 
I'm so proud of the, the commitment and sacrifices she's made. That's my treasure on earth. That's what God has given to me. That's who God has given to me to, to help to build me and make me better and for us to grow. Where's your treasure? What is your treasure? Tell you what, my treasure is here. My treasure is in this church, New Life Church. This is my treasure. I'm gonna do whatever it takes and give whatever I can to make sure that this church not just survives but thrives. Apply God's treasure principle to your life and to your marriage. See where it takes you. We'll pick this up next week, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and grace and mercy. Thank you for your commitment to us. And thank you for the commitment that this church has made over the last 15 months, God. I pray that our commitment to you will continue. Thank you for the survival of marriages in this church. May our commitment to each other continue and may you receive the glory. Lord, I'd be remiss if I didn't say thank you for allowing us to have the privilege of having Vicki here with us this morning. What a blessing, God. Enough said. Bless us as we go. Your name. Amen.